This week, we talked to Chris Mandarino, former football player turned entrepreneur who developed a nutritional product called Life Fuel. We're going to ask about that and so much more. Let's get into it. Chris Mandarino, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. And we had to move the time of this because you're joining us from the country of Italy. Is that correct? Yeah, I'm over in Sardinia at the moment, which is a beautiful island. It's actually one of the world's blue zones um, due to the high concentration of centenarians. And so going through a dual citizenship process and uh, yeah, just soaking up Italian culture. Now, the the blue zones, that's kind of uh, areas of the world where they have kind of uh, longer life lifespans and just general better health, less instances of certain diseases um, of longevity. And, and is that, is that kind of what those are? Yeah, exactly. And right. Yep. Did they tie those to some environmental factors and, and the diets that were available to, is that kind of. The yeah, I think there? there is, I think nine or 11, I can't remember off the top of my head, how many different like core principles that they're able to identify. Um, amongst these groups kind of all over the world. Um, so Japan, Greece, uh, certain, you know, micro communities in each one of these larger countries, but yeah, diet, uh, was a big part of it. Uh, community was another big part of it, spirituality. So yeah, there's, um, a few, uh, they did a ton of research around it and kind of find found these underlying, um, core themes that all these various communities, um, had in common and, and what they found contributed to longer health and, uh, less incidence of, lifestyle-related illnesses. Now, is Italy one of those countries where they have generational households, like multi-generational households, and the, the, the thinking is it's better to have your elders live with you and just kind of uh, you know take care of them as, as they age? Is that you think of, yeah. that's one of the things that contributes? Yeah, definitely. Because that, you know, obviously keeps the elderly young, right? They're exposed to like the younger generations and having, you know, that tight knit community, um, you know, is definitely a key part of that. And yeah, they even, um, you know, kids growing up in Italy, a lot of them will stay at home, you know, until they're married, essentially, like sometimes 30s, 40s, whatever. So it's like definitely tightly knit around that core family structure. And, um, you know, elderly are, are still a big part of that, right? They right. always joke like, it's the grandma's cooking, right? She's mm-hmm. at home and she's like, still making tortellini around her little finger, <laughs> you know, just like they've done for hundreds of years. So yeah, it's and, still and not kicked off to a nursing home and in, in, yeah. in isolation, like so like you see so much around here sadly yeah exactly yeah that, i'm sure that i mean that stuff does contribute greatly to to your health and your longevity i'm sure how could it not um so i wanted to ask you about uh you're, you're our first guest we've had that actually has her own wikipedia page so oh yeah it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of interesting so it says you were born in 1982 a former american football fullback so you were uh i want to ask you about uh where you were born in California, is that correct? Yeah, Save Newport Anaheim. Beach, down in Southern California. Okay. And when you um, were growing up in the 80s, uh, I'm 50, so I'm about 11 years older than you, but um, tell me about how you were raised far, as far as diet, nutrition-wise, and obviously you were an athletic kid, um, but what was diet and nutrition like in your house when you were a child? 
Yeah. So I, you know, I had a big family. I was one of five, I had four sisters. Um, you know, both my parents worked. I mean, my mom, she was a teacher. Um, my dad ran his own, um, business. He's a contractor. And so he ran a painting business. And so I think, um, she was able to stay home initially, but at some point she went back to work. And so, you know, we always had a good structure around eating together as a family, but mm-hmm. as we got older, obviously with, you know, all, everybody in sports and, <laughs> uh, different schedules, it became more challenging. Um, but a lot of it, you know, wasn't always the, the most nutritious food, right? It was, you know, typical, you know, stuff that was convenient and quick. Like there's oftentimes there's KFC or McDonald's because that's what you could feed a family of seven cheaply on for right. in a limited amount of time. But my mom was always good um, about cooking uh, when she can and, and really kind of um, developed some cooking skills, learning firsthand from her. And then my dad would contribute as well. So they both um, really embraced that when they had the time. And, you know, it's, I think a special part was having those like rich family traditions that had been passed down from generation to generation and um, trying to hold on to that and really um, soak up as much of that knowledge as possible. But um, it really wasn't until I guess later in life where I became a lot more interested in nutrition and, and especially as an athlete and starting to understand how that could be used to, you know, fuel my performance and uh, success as an athlete and also um, as a competitive advantage over others that maybe weren't taking it quite as seriously. Yeah. Cause really like in the eighties, I mean, it was a completely different, you know, nutritional philosophy than there is now, obviously. And, you know, in the seventies when I was a kid, same thing, you know, it was a, uh, Here's Dewey, by the way. He just joined. I'm here. How you doing? That's right. I was just asking something like that. Just asking Chris about uh, his diet as a, as a child and and being a, a child athlete growing up in California. Um, so, so you just kind of ate, you know, standard American diet. We call it the sad diet um, as a child, like most of us. Now, yeah. when you developed into a, you know a successful high school athlete, college athlete. Um, I, when, when did you get into training? Was that all part of, uh, you know, your athletic just came along with, Hey, you're in football. This is, we, we go in the weight room, we get stronger. This is what we do. Yeah, pretty much. And, um, so I had an uncle who was a bodybuilder and, you know, I learned a bunch of, about nutrition kind of as I was starting to get into middle school and thinking about, you know, what I want to do and start to focus on football. And I knew that obviously getting big and strong was going to be an important part of that process. So I really started to pick his brain and let me uh, ask you, let me stop you. Doing. Let me interrupt real quick. What, what was the advice that you're, so if you're, he was your uncle, he was probably what in his forties or something in the, in the eighties. So what yeah. was his nutritional uh, advice to you as a, as a child in the eighties there as a bodybuilder? Yes. Yeah, so I don't recall exactly. What I do recall is he had like a ton of supplements and I was like overwhelmed by like seeing all the stuff that he had. And he actually, I think he passed away quite early due to a heart attack. Right. Oh, so wow. it, was, it was your typical, you know, I guess eighties bodybuilder who, you know, looked super healthy, like super shredded, but, on the inside wasn't necessarily the pinnacle of health maybe because all the other stuff that he had going on i don't know enough about like what his daily dietary regimen was or supplements and other stuff that he was taking probably had something to do with with why he passed early but um, we're, we're and we're seeing you know, we're seeing that now 
in the bodybuilder yeah. world, it's yeah, it does happen a lot. Yeah, it, it, it's it's a it's a sad trend that we're seeing. Yeah, yeah there's something to be said, especially for those really massive guys. You know, yeah. like your heart just doesn't uh, distinguish between that and and fat necessarily. It still has to pump blood and carry that weight around. So that's you know, yeah, that's tough. And it's a, yeah, it's a lot of work for a small organ. <laughs> you know, it's it's crazy. And I, I remember, I think from him how dialed in he was with like you know weighing and measuring food and it was like this whole like science project right so it was like tupperware flying everywhere (laughs) yeah it was like how how much work and effort went into like all the different you know uh in consideration of what he was actually you know putting in his body and timing and all that and um it's not something that i necessarily wanted to (laughs) <laughs> do for myself right. but i did see like how that could potentially uh contribute to muscle gain and, and strength building and all that um so yeah i think when i was younger it was really there was a phase in my life where um due to the rules in like junior all-american football um you can't be above a certain weight in california and and actually play right so i had to go through i actually had like a chubby phase as a kid where I had to then lose a bunch of weight. And so I did a cabbage soup diet. I was running in like a, a, a trash bag, essentially trying to lose the weight. <laughs> sweat, sweat, and that sweat. was probably the first, you know, biggest and uh, most shocking, I guess, food experiences of my life. Um, having to go through that. And what's the thinking behind I, that? Is it that they, they want you to be in shape to play football or are they no, is it trying a, to keep it a competitive advantage? A, in Minnesota, we did the same thing and it was just a, it's a competitive disadvantage to, if you give the kid that at fifth grade, he's 180 pounds and you put him at running back, he's going to score every single time he oh, touches okay, the ball. So it's just kind of level yeah. the playing field for everyone. So for us, we they yeah. just put a sticker on our helmet and then we had to play linemen. Oh, really? Interesting. So it's yeah, position related it, even? It's only certain states like Texas, oh. I don't think. I don't know if it's changed, but I think Texas, like there, there might not be that same like weight limit. <laughs> Texas, um, the bigger the better, right? But yeah, it's a, yeah, it's about safety and it's about yeah the I guess um, keeping it fair and competitive, right? Because you just have this like beast of a kid who's just running over anybody. It's not necessarily the safest. It's well, not Derek, that fun Derek Henry, Derek Henry still does it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> So tell tell us about your training when you uh, we kind of covered the nutrition aspect as a kid. So when you the, the training, I assume, just came along with being in these sports led by your coaches. And uh, what what did that consist of as a as a kid in the late eighties, early nineties? Yeah, so for me, it was uh, I guess pre high school. So um, I started weightlifting. I think it was eighth grade, um, and I would walk over my. Middle school was um, short walk, maybe I don't know, five or six blocks from the high school. And so I think it was myself and maybe one other kid um, would walk over after school and start working with the, the coaching staff there and start to get acclimated with um, uh, weightlifting. And, and at the high school I went to really put a, a core emphasis on uh, Olympic lifting. Mm. And that's mostly for, because it's so dynamic, right? It's um, for explosive power. Movements. It's explosive, yeah. right? And so it's more, I guess, transferable to what you need as a football player than just kind of slow static movements or endurance or anything else. So it simulates uh, throwing another guy around, right? 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly right. So um, the foundation was really highly technical, right, to make sure that the movements in the body, you know, are there and you're moving safely um, so that you can, over time, put up large loads. But we literally started with a, you know, a PVC pipe and it was just going through, like, snatch and clean and jerks and, you know, um, Working on the more form. complex movements. Getting the yeah, form down and, first. Yeah, where the where the bar meets the hips, and you know, getting it overhead and, and all that. So um, that was really, you know, it was, it was fun because it's super challenging to to learn. But I think um, really important that I got that skill set at such an early age um, because it is so again transferable to what you have to do on the the football field. Yeah. So. Let's talk about now when you get into high school and, and college, uh, you got the, the training piece, you know, obviously they're focused on that. Did they have any uh, recommendations nutrition wise, especially like in, in, in college, like your strength coaches or, or anyone related to football? Yeah. So it's funny. And, and I guess going back to high school for a minute, like our reward after, um, a workout session was a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. And that was like <laughs> the extent of <laughs> nutrition essentially. Right. And, but we loved it. Right. It's like, Oh, I couldn't wait to get my hands on at least one <laughs> and usually two of those peanut butter and jellies. Um, but you know, just like white bread and one of the, I guess, kids, dads owned a, a bakery. So the, the, bread was a little bit better than just like wonder bread or something like that. But, um, still not like, I guess the, <laughs> the most optimal, like workout food, um, at the college level, you know, back then, um, you know, Cal was still, I think pretty far back in terms of like, uh, facilities and what we had access to, um, from a nutritionist and dietitian standpoint. Um, and so it was like, you would grab like a Gatorade protein shake that tasted like metal and a power bar that was like the post work, which is, I guess, a step up from the peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. <laughs> but then there's a lot of times where you just, you know, you're running around between classes. You don't really have a lot of time to eat um, as a student athlete. And so, you know, you might grab a sandwich before going to, you know, um, practice and that's all you've eaten for the day. Like your, your, uh, Gatorade shake, your power bar and like a, a sandwich or something like that prior to, you know, so they're really hour practice. not a big focus then on, you know, you got to get this much lean protein and, and, you know, it doesn't sound like as much of a focus on it. It was just, it's kind of, you're left to your own devices and totally, unfortunately games. that's, you know, and I, I know it's come a long way since the time I was there, but it's not like you had like a whole nutritional game plan around, you know, what you needed to eat and how much and what type of food. Right. Um, for me, it was like, okay, I needed to put on weight. Um, so that just meant eat a lot of food, <laughs> right? right? And just, just quantities. Just eat constantly. Yeah. Yeah. Massive quantities. So you didn't discriminate. Didn't really have. You were distinguishing between, you know, I'm going to eat some lean chicken breast versus steak versus, you know, lots of salads it, or milkshakes. It was just get the calories in any way you could. Pretty much. I mean, you're, you're somewhat conscious of it, right? Because you just know if, you know, you, you get all your calories from cake and ice cream. You're not going to necessarily <laughs> look the way you want or perform the way you want. But, um, you know, you started with, you know, whatever was at, whatever was being served. Right. And so, um, there was, I guess, some control and some emphasis around prioritizing like more nutrient dense food and, and trying to get lean cuts of, uh, meats and different things, but there's also always dessert. There's always cookies and other things. And yeah. so, 
that, I guess, training table really became that one big meal of the day. And you're like probably shoving like, I don't know, thousands of calories down your mouth in (laughs) a short period of time. And then you take like a little to-go box and maybe you got like a burrito or a couple sandwiches uh, for later that night or the next day. Um, But yeah, I know it's, it's really come a long way since I was there um, and getting the guys dialed in with nutritional needs and how to use that um, as a competitive advantage to really get people closer to, you know, their goals as um, an athlete. Speaking of while you were there, I don't know if my dates are right. And if I'm putting two and two together, but while you were at Cal, who was your QB one? Yeah, so my redshirt freshman year, it was Kyle Bowler. And then after that, um, Aaron Rodgers uh, was there for two seasons. Okay, and yeah. Then, That's what I was putting yeah, together. Yeah, he left. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he left. He didn't come back for senior season. So we had uh, Longshore. He got hurt first game. And then, sure. yeah, we had Ayob after that. But, yeah, we had a good run with, with Aaron and then. Marshawn Lynch was one of the tailbacks I'd blocked for. Um, Justin Forsett, another oh, yeah. uh, NFL guy. So, yeah, four, I think, yeah, four different NFL tailbacks. That was a good little run. Yeah, yeah, I think still like the most winningest time in uh, Cal football in recent history. Sure, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that's so cool. Like, so now let me ask you about when you were <clears throat> obviously you're burning tons of calories, you know, every day, um, doing all this massive amounts of athletic activity. What, what would you say like, uh, your, you know, body fat percentage or how lean were you? Um, you just, cause you were kind of just consuming tons of calories, but without regard to the quality of those calories necessarily, do you think the athletic activity, did that keep you pretty lean or was that even something you even thought about? Yeah. So in that transition from high school to college, I I came into college pretty lean. Um, I was a quarterback, I was a tailback and linebacker, but you know, when I got to Cal, they threw me in at fullback. Right. So I was considerably undersized for that position. And that's really what led to kind of having to bulk up and put on, on weight. And so as a result of that and trying to do it as quickly as possible with that comes, you know, um, increase body fat percentage as well. Um, but it was gradual. I think we, I probably walked on at like 200 and then maybe started my red shirt freshman year around 215 pounds. Um, which is like nothing for a fullback and then gradually. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And then by the time I was a senior, I had gotten up to like 235 or 240. So it was kind of about like a five, five pound, give or take each year that I had progressively put on. And a lot of that was, um, muscle, but also uh, percentage of body fat. I don't know exactly what the total percentage of body fat, uh, was at the time. Um, but definitely I think more, a lot more body fat than I have now. And so right. I wasn't ever as lean as I would like to be, but kind of, you know, you just needed a mass, mass um, yep, to be able yeah. to move guys around. You went in as Drew Brees and left as Mike Allstott. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly right. So I'm pulling up uh, a couple of pictures here. Um, we just typed in your name and, and NFL into the, the search engine here, and it's got some, uh, like, uh, your Chiefs headshot. Yeah. So tell, tell us about, uh, you know, talking to NFL teams and and, have, and that experience. Yeah, so um, coming out of Cal, I had 
you know, gone from walk on to four year starter, um, was able to kind of show what I could do at that level. And, you know, the NFL scouts started to take notice. Uh, the game had changed a lot. So most pro style offenses had really gone away from kind of that traditional eye formation that really relied on a, a fullback um, in the backfield. So I think there's probably a total of maybe 30, 35 jobs available in the NFL, right? Not everybody really used a fullback and maybe a couple teams kept two, but most, if any, had, had one. So I was kind of back in that same position, uh, signed as a free agent with the Bengals and kind of had to prove myself all over again. But even at 240, I was still considered undersized right. for NFL fullback. Most guys are like different level there. five plus. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I was tasked with that same thing. And, and you know, at the NFL, it's even you're, – you're scrutinized a whole lot more, right? There's weekly weigh-ins. And oh, so yeah. you've got a position coach going like, what are you doing? you got to eat. you got to train. you got to, you know, put on weight. You know, and I remember – wanting to sneak like little two and a half uh, pound plates and put them in my girdle <laughs> <laughs> and get on the scale just to you know, bump it up a little bit. Those aren't I, you know, so tough. I would just eat, I would eat so much, but it just like really, really challenging uh, to really put and keep weight on. Yeah, it's funny uh, because, well, in the NFL, I mean, we're talking millions of dollars are at stake here. So it's not, you know, it's, I mean, the game changes. The stakes completely change. So, you know, the pressure has got to, had to have been immense. And the interesting thing is I have your headshot, uh, your Bengals headshot next to your live shot, and your face is definitely way yeah. fuller. Shrunk down. You did the, yeah. t- you did the yeah. Tom Brady transformation. Yeah, you look yeah. way leaner now, uh, you know, and you could tell you were definitely packing on the LBs there. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's, you know, it was probably not where your body wanted to rest naturally no and it you know and that was i think part of i think later my personal transformation and and journey with food and nutrition is you know the heavier i got even though i was you know competing at a the highest level of sport it seemed like the um unhealthier i became right the more heartburn i experienced every time i would eat the more my gut was a mess my energy was kind of up and down and all over the place and just like you know, I was carrying more fat around that I, I felt comfortable with. So, um, yeah, it was really post-football career that I really took more of a vested interest and said, I don't need to be 240-plus pounds right. you know, to block defensive ends and linebackers <laughs> anymore. Let me see what I can do to shed this weight. And that came through. Um, you know, I was always working out really rigorously, but it was really through dietary changes that – I saw amazing transformation and really started to lean out a lot more while still maintaining a lot of that um, muscle mass that so I before had we tra- uh, accrued. Before we transition into that, just to put a point on it here. So at the NF- NFL level, obviously, you know, with the higher stakes and the millions of dollars at stake and everything, um, was there more of an emphasis on nutrition? Did, did they give you any guidance there more than the yeah, college so there level? Was, yeah, I, I mean, at that time there was like – a nutritionist that you could seek out and you can kind of like book a consultation with her and um she would kind of dial in a meal plan or something for you do you remember what it consisted Um, of um you know it was it wasn't really qualitative base it was more like macronutrient focused Mm -hmm. right so you need to be consuming you know x amount of calories and that should consist of you know 
150 grams of protein, you know, 300 grams of carbohydrates and this amount of fat pretty much. And that was more or less the extent of it. And they kind of, you know, taught you like, okay, here's, you know, the type of macronutrient ratio that you would expect in a, a chicken breast. Right. And so you're kind of trying to, you know, identify that, but it was still came down to largely, you know, caloric load. Um, you're just trying to put maybe, um, cleaner fuel sources, cleaner protein sources on your plate and minimize some of those empty calories. Um, so there's definitely a ratchet up from what I got uh, collegiately, but still, you know, I think far away from what you'd see now um, in an NFL locker room and what exists to the level of uh, yeah, the we're talking early 2000s here. So this is coming up on, you know, 15, 15 or so years ago, right? Did, did they, yeah. did they, during the different types of the season, did they circle back around and adjust those macros based on workload and volume? Not, not really. I mean, you're kind of left to your own devices to a large degree, right? There wasn't somebody sure. who was like consistently checking up on you, right? The things that they were, I guess, more so measuring from a performance standpoint is, you know, you had your strength coach and your strength team, right. And seeing how you're increasing loads and, and those key around those key um, exercises, clean and jerk, bench press squats, those types of things, 40 time. Right. So is that's what was being measured and how you got there, you know, like the nutritional part wasn't quite as, emphasized um as much as it it, i think it could have been sure not not to um call you know call you out or have you indict anyone but was there i don't even know in the nfl do they test for the the roids and stuff is that yeah they definitely do so they test or depends on yeah it depends on what time of the season like when you're in training camp um you know, call it like the 5 a.m. wake up call. Somebody will come on. It's, you know, random, but, you know, pretty much, I think most guys will go through it at some point in training camp where they're waking you up in the middle of the night. You got to go, you know, pee in a cup. They're basically staring at you yeah, while you okay. do it. And wow. so, and that happens. There's like, testing windows throughout the, the season. Um, like, so you know, the off-season. test can come at any point. So you can't, you don't want to risk it and get. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Wow, crazy. Yep. Okay, so let's talk about. Um, so then you ended up in Italy. Was that through football as well? Did you play for a European t- squad after the? Yeah, NFL? so post NFL, um, you know, I went after you know I went Bengals for two seasons, signed with the Chiefs, um, ended up getting released, and then kind of bounced around, um, didn't land anywhere that season, and then uh, had lost some weight um, as a result, and you know, it was kind of thinking about what the next move would be. I was um, studying for my series seven, but I go the finance route is like made up my mind that football was over. And then a buddy from Cal called me up out of the blue and and said, Hey, I remember you talking about wanting to potentially go uh, play abroad in Europe. If the opportunity ever presented, Um, you know, I just signed there, I guess his high school football coach was the coach uh, for the Bologna um, doves the season before and so they put him in touch he remembered that i had an interest in playing and so he's like what do you think i was like well yeah i guess like it sounds a whole lot better than studying for this test and so yeah i was on a a flight you know into the great unknown like 
shortly thereafter and um, going to go figure out what football looks in, like in Italy. And I had read uh, John Grisham's novel beforehand, Playing for Pizza, and it was <laughs> crazy how similar my experience actually was to, to what he had written in the book. Now, I assume you knew no Italian, you knew nothing of the culture other than they just wanted you there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it was always, you know, I had a, a strong affinity for, you know, uh, Italian culture just because my great grandfather was the first one to immigrate from Italy. And so it's still very much part of like, you know, our um, fondest family traditions and stuff. But I'd never been to Italy before. Definitely didn't speak the language. Um, just trying to do a crash course before getting <laughs> over there, but <laughs> little to no effect. Uh, and so, but fortunately, you know, having that team environment, you know, some of the guys on the team spoke both English and Italian. And so, you know, they really welcomed us with open arms, you know, as soon as we got there and it was like family. Awesome. That's cool. I bet that was, uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I bet you'd enjoyed the food over there as well, huh? When you first got oh, there. Oh, man. It's incredible. <laughs> well, the cool thing was, so again, like literally straight out of the playing for pizza novel, like one of our coaches owned, owned a uh, wine bar and bistro. And so we would go there, we would practice like 8 p.m. to 10 p.m., like three times a week. And then we would go to the wine bar afterward and he would just load us up with, you know, um, the taglieri. So it's all the different cuts of like prosciutto and salami oh, and cheese. You say, 10, and you say practice and until 10 p.m. Oh. and then go eat? Yeah, yeah, wow, and everything's so much later, you know, in Italy and in, in Europe in general. Uh, so, yeah, and then, like, amazing wines, and, yeah, it was, it was definitely good eating over there. And I think during that time, it's really when um, I was really tuned in to the, like, the stark contrasts that existed between, like, Italian culture, the way that they lived and ate versus what I'd, you know, grown accustomed to in the U.S. Um, you know, I always kind of, you know, you hear about, Italian food, but like once you're really living there, experiencing it and seeing, you know, beyond the food, just like how important uh, that is to the daily lifestyle um, that yeah. really opened my eyes to like the value of food and nutrition. Right. So let's talk about your transition. Then uh, you went, you know, from really fueling this athletic activity and trying to put on as much mass as possible to, you know, being done with football. Uh, you're still not, you're not playing anymore, right? You're completely done now? No, no, no. Yeah. <laughs> so what, what, uh, you know, how did you kind of discover that, uh, you wanted to transition away from the, the diet you had previously and, and discovered what you're, what you're doing now and tell us some, some more about that. Yeah. So a big part of it was, well, it was twofold. So one was just like personal happiness with like being, you know, um, uh, that big and, and also the impact that, you know, carrying that much weight had on my bones and my body and how I felt. Um, and playing abroad in Italy, I was kind of back in, in high school in many ways where I was playing on both sides of the ball again. So there's no way that I could have done that at 240 plus pounds and mm. performed at the level that I wanted to. So, um, I mean, we we're doing everything where I was playing tailback linebacker special teams. I mean, you're never coming off the field. Right. So I mean, they definitely got their money's worth out of us and <laughs> we're not paying a whole lot either. Uh, but the food was good. So you really had to work uh, on your cardio then. So you weren't gassed. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah, exactly. So, um, 
yeah, I think it was it was that time living abroad in Italy, and then shortly thereafter, I started working professionally in nutrition. I made the like full transition away from football into the business world in 2008, and you know uh, everything I had done outside of football was really finance focused and some real estate stuff, and thought that would ultimately be the direction that I'd go career wise um, when football was done. But obviously, um, global financial crisis, you know, almost impossible to get a job in that industry during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so had an opportunity um, through a friend who owned a bariatric nutrition company. Um, so that's in, you know, weight loss surgery and medical weight loss space and um, really built up like great company, market leader in their their little niche. And it was really tied into um the surgical practices around the country and a, a pivotal part of success for uh, these patients, both preoperatively and postoperatively. And so during that time, I really got a um, really in-depth education around nutrition and really started to understand it from a science-based approach. Um, and then later in that journey, when that business was getting acquired by a much larger global organization, um, was really at the forefront of uh, functional wellness and functional nutrition, had like a full staff of PhD scientists and stuff who were really doing product development based off, you know, all these amazing like phytonutrients and uh, natural compounds that I really leveled up my understanding and knowledge about um, nutrition. I was still going through things too, from a personal standpoint and trying all these different dietary theories to see, you know, what really worked most efficiently um, for, you know, uh, what I wanted for, for my health and, and body type. So let me ask you a little bit about the medical weight loss um, thing. So as your role as a nutrition person is really to keep them from <laughs> gaining back and just going on that same path all over again. Right. And and making sure that they're getting enough nutrition, even with the much smaller uh, ability to take in a certain amount of calories per day because of their stomach is smaller, right? So yeah, exactly. So it's it's twofold, right? So a lot of those patients present to surgery already uh, nutrient deficient, which is a bit counterintuitive, right? Because you think there'd be an overabundance of nutrients, but a lot of them get locked up in the fat stores and they're just not being absorbed by the body. So there's the preparation for surgery, um, which, you know, typically consisted of like a full liquid diet, like a meal replacement, five shakes a day for two weeks solid prior to having surgery. And the goal of that was really to shrink the liver size. So it, you know, had an amazing reversal of non uh, alcoholic fatty liver disease in a very short amount of time. And the point of that was to make the surgeon's job much easier when they go in laparoscopically because they have to lift the liver up out of the way to go in and, and do what they need to do to alter the anatomy. But postoperatively, it was probably the most important because um, because of the change in anatomy, they are not absorbing um, key vitamins and nutrients the same way, plus smaller portion size. And mm-hmm. so you really start to see, you know, I'd go around and do um, patient support groups and educate um, both the patients and clinicians on the role of nutrition. And you would see firsthand, like, uh, those that were taking their nutrition seriously, um, looked healthy, looked great versus those that didn't, even though they had lost weight, they looked more sickly, hairs falling out, right? Because their body wasn't uh, getting the nutrition they needed to be um, fully healthy. And so, that was really 
interesting because I saw how critical like nutrition was to overall health. And also uh, through the research that we were doing there, saw that there was a, a much larger audience, general population that wasn't necessarily getting all their nutrients from food either um, in pretty high uh, numbers, right? So if you look at like the full uh, American population, it's like over 90% are insufficient or deficient in one or more key vitamins and uh, minerals, even when eating a quote unquote healthy diet. And so that's really what launched the catalyst for doing what we started at, at Life Fuel. Yeah, and I brought up your uh, website here, lifefuel.com, and that's L-Y-F-E fuel.com. Um, <clears throat> so tell us about, about that product, um, you know, what your goals are with it, how you came to arrive at this formulation and really what it is. Is, is, is it kind of a supplement, like a protein shake type product or what's the, yeah, it's, I mean, it's more, it's, it's more food than the majority of food that you'll find at, on the supermarket shelves. Uh, technically it is a supplement, but we start with real whole foods and the idea behind it was two parts. So when I was working, um, with that bariatric nutrition company, I saw how many different products somebody would have to take just to kind of get this baseline level of foundational nutrition. And I was hearing firsthand from patients how, confusing, frustrating, and expensive that was. And so as a sales team, like we were really kind of pushing on upper management to try to have a more uh, inclusive solution, but they were a bit resistant to it because it would kind of cannibalize a lot of those other, you know, product lines that um, were developed and invested in. And so that was a bit frustrating because you're, you clearly have, you know, a a demand for a simpler, more convenient solution. And it's not that it couldn't be done. It was just a matter of, you know, profits or other, (laughs) you know, bureaucratic methods that, you know, prevented it. And, you know, you look at most traditional supplement companies, that's basically how they're built, right? It's a reductionist approach to nutrition. So you've got like one product for each individual vitamin and mineral. You've got a vitamin D, a B12, a B complex, you know, you name it, you can find more sales, another another bottle, more sales. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I was never one to take a bunch of supplements in the first place, but then once seeing the data, you're kind of like, well, I, I need to be mindful about this and understand that I'm getting what my body actually needs and having to like individual blood work, you can see like, oh, I was needed more vitamin D and magnesium was a bit low. And so like the science is there to support the other reason to do it. Um, and we were just trying to do it in a more holistic way that one didn't require you to take, you know, 15 different products to, um, do what you can do with one and two do it in a cleaner way where we're starting and ending with real whole foods as opposed to synthetic uh, vitamins and minerals that are isolated and chemically produced in a lab. So it's a more I guess, intuitive and natural way to approach to health um, than what largely exists in the supplement industry as a whole. I have the uh, all-in-one essentials shake up. Is that kind of your main flagship yeah. product there? Yeah. Yeah. So that was the hero product. And, um, you know, the science behind that is we looked at Dr. Bruce Ames nutritional triage theory of aging, which posits when you don't get the uh, fundamental vitamins and minerals you need on a daily basis, your body basically 
flips a switch from long-term health to short-term survival. And so we really drilled down into seeing what those nutrients were and how we could, you know, elevate those amounts of nutrients and still give you um, kind of baseline levels of everything else that uh, we all need, need as humans um, to look, feel, and perform our best, right? So you can't have just one of these things in isolation. It can't be just micronutrients or just phytonutrients. You need protein. You need the micronutrients. And so the idea was to create a real whole food plant-based meal that gave you, you know, a fundamental um, level of all these things, but also filled the most common nutrient gaps in the diet. Yeah, let's look at the like the macros here. So it says basically, I think this is per serving here. So it's 18 grams of plant-based protein. And then- what's that? What's that derived from? So we're currently using a combination of pea and rice, okay. and that's because we wanted to have something equivalent to um, from a PDCAS score uh, to whey protein. Um, and so because those have complementary amino acid profiles, they really balance each other out. Um, and that was, you know, using those two sources was the best at the time from both a uh, flavor and function standpoint, but also from a um, absorption rate. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, absorption and uh, branching amino acid standpoint. We're in the process of innovating this further with some exciting new proteins um, that are a bl- little bit better. Still pea, uh, better quality pea, and then okay. um, something instead of rice, uh, which we've um, – rice is good, but there's there's just been some innovation in the space uh, that presents a better uh, alternative that allows us to still – get that PD cast, but a better uh, flavor profile and, and um, I notice it's also product. three carbs per serving. That's pretty low. Like is low carb kind of approach. Is that kind of your, yeah. So, you know, a lot of, when we looked at, you know, the nutritional shade category, the meal replacement category more broadly, also, um, you know, when I was at Metagenics, we had brought the first like ketogenic program to market um, there is, there was a lot of interesting science around that low carb approach and especially around like, um, kickstarting weight loss and stuff. Yeah. So we figured, you know, with the product itself, like let's intentionally keep it lower carb because if you wanted more carbs, you're better off throwing like a banana or some, you know, was- frozen berries or something in it and wrapping up those carbs to how you want, um, fit, but you can't like take the carbs out right. <laughs> after they're already in there. And so if you look at a lot of um, other products in the category, they've got like oats or something. And that's like the main carb source, which isn't you know terrible, but it's just kind of like empty calories in a way and empty carbohydrates that you could probably fill up with um, other more antioxidant and phytonutrient rich fruits and, and uh uh, superfoods if you wanted an additional boost of carbohydrates let's say that's the one thing the the, the low carbs is that one thing that jumped out at me right away didn't I, I didn't figure it was intentional but i did notice it right away and say yeah. what a huge benefit because i i want to add bananas or i want yeah, fresh blue exactly yeah yeah and if you do that with something else you're now you're looking at oh you're over your 60, carbs. Yeah. 75 <laughs> right. you know, carbs and it's like okay i'm not you can't look at another car the rest of the day. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like that. So it doesn't uh, – I guess I'm not seeing the the nutritional label. Like what's the uh, – like just speaking as far as the macros, in case we got the protein and the carbs, like what's the fat? I'm guessing there isn't any. <laughs> yeah, the fat's pretty low. I think pretty it's like low. one gram. Okay. One gram of total fat. 
Okay. Yeah. So really emphasis on the protein then. That's really what you're we're pushing and then in and then in addition to all the uh micronutrients. Yeah, so the yeah, so the, <clears throat> the protein is really the vehicle through which, you know, you're getting the rest of the, the vitamins and minerals, right? And so starting with that whole food um based approach. So protein is definitely the majority of the product, but then you know, the micronutrients by volume those don't take up a lot of, I guess, space. Um, and so it's the micronutrients, the greens, and like that mix of different plant-based uh, ingredients and superfoods that um, most of us are not getting enough of um, in the diet alone. And then the uh, if you look at the individual levels of the micronutrients, so like vitamin D3 is um, yeah, extremely elevated. I think it's thousand or two thousand i use a d3 per serving you've got magnesium the iodine so a lot of these key um nutrients that are commonly lacking or missing altogether in the diet that's where we put the most emphasis i know you're uh the whole product is plant-based um what, what's your stance on lean meats yeah so i think um lean meats are great but like what is that what does that mean right so i think more importantly than just lean meat it's where is the meat coming from how is it sourced what type of diet is that you know um animal eating right which, which is All almost unknowable need to be considered <laughs> in terms of like weighing the nutritional value and, and health value of the food right so uh uh a cow that's um, eating a natural diet, not like force-fed corn and soy and then fattened up last minute mm -hmm. uh, and then, you know, slaughtered at, you know, this industrialized feedlot is going to have uh, a more inflammatory impact, more omega-6 fatty acids than something that's being um, slaughtered humanely, eating a natural diet, has um, uh, pastures to roam and graze on, right? So it's it's not that meat's bad it's just <laughs> industrialized beef and ultra processed foods um it's not it's not um the best uh, thing that you could put in your body optimal, yeah. so. <clears throat> i was just running your stance on that as far as you know whether it was a uh, hyper anti-meat stance or if you kind of look at this as a su as a supplement you know yeah in, no for us it's you know it's it's a um it's a lot better than let's say a whey protein, right? Which is something that I always use in athlete. And really, mm -hmm. if you get into like how whey protein is made and um, you know, the environmental impact and really like the contradictory health impacts that are associated with dairy and whey, that's where um, the science really supports like plant-based solution, like what we've developed and what we're committed to at life fuel. Um, plus you're getting um, a lot of those trace vitamins and minerals and phytonutrients from those plant-based fuel sources that you're not going to get from a dairy-based product. How do you feel about collagen? Um, you know, I've <laughs> got mixed thoughts about it. Um, so your body, you know, this whole collagen craze is quite fascinating, is interesting to me. Um, so your body can naturally and does naturally produce collagen. As long as you're getting those um, essential amino acids, then it should be able to continue to do that, right? So it really goes back to like, what does the rest of your diet look like 
Uh, what are those other protein sources that you're getting? And are you getting enough of that to support, you know, normal uh, muscular development, uh, cellular growth and everything else? So, um, you know, if you if you think it works for you, great. Um, but I think there's other things that I want to put in my body than like ground up pig's hooves and chicken feet and all that stuff, personally. Mm. So. <laughs> I... Uh... I, 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 I'm a, my reasons for using it are a little more selfish. Um, I just love the, um, the amount of protein per serving in ratio to calories. Um, I can get 20, 30 grams for not man, not very many calories. And, and, uh, I know Chris, you can't see Dewey, but he's got lux- luxurious flowing hair. He's trying to maintain that as well. So. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Again, I think it goes back to your goals, right? So like, are we talking about like training for performance or bodybuilding or something, or are we talking about just like general nutrition, right? If it's general nutrition, which is really kind of like more of our sweet spot, I think, than like high performance sports nutrition, not that um, you can't benefit from what we're doing at fuel but like our essential shake which was the subject matter was really about that daily wellness right so protein is only one part of that most people generally speaking especially in american culture are getting plenty of protein already protein deficiency you don't see protein deficiency right now if your goal is to be a high performance athlete you're trying to build muscle then yes definitely um you need a higher protein load. Um, but it's not just the total amount of protein. It's how well your body's actually making use of that right. protein. So it's the right. bioavailability of it. And then, you know, I think really our push and what we're trying to do around plant-based nutrition beyond just like the personal health is the planetary health standpoint. So what is the cost of, you know, a whey protein, um, or collagen protein, maybe collagen is more efficient because they're you know, using parts of the animal that would largely be discarded. Um, I think there probably could be a, a good argument for that. So, um, you know, I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I don't think any, you know, food is not inherently bad. I think the way in which, you know, it's been become to, uh, like our processing methods and what we consider food to be needs to be, uh, rethought about so that yeah, I, agree of, that. I think even the most staunch like carnivores are really pushing towards the sustainable ranching model if that's yeah. ever you know that's the direction we're headed hopefully sorry didn't mean to interrupt no, you there, no, Dewey. no that's fine in full disclosure i am i do feel for i do a lot of crossfit so i feel for that um yeah so those requirements are a little different which leads me to a, the perfect segue do you guys plan on anything special sports-centered or sports-specific um, for yeah, the, so, the performance athlete? Yeah, so me too. I, I, when I was done playing football, I, I maintained a lot of that. Olympic lifting, did CrossFit for years and years and years uh, up until recently. You know, that was my primary uh, methodology of training. Um, that's why we developed our uh, post-workout recovery shake. So oh, that okay. product was more geared towards that high performance athlete, somebody is who who's more active on a daily basis, who wants to build and maintain lean muscle and do that um, at a high level day in and day out, right? So going back to that, I guess, argument, 
you could have a whey protein shake, but you're not getting any of those antioxidants benefits that really play an important role in uh, the recovery process. Um, And a lot of these micronutrients like magnesium, zinc, B vitamins that athletes tend to be a bit more depleted in that um, are super important that you stay on top of because you don't want to put yourself at a higher risk of injury because as you know, um, with somebody who trains frequently, the moment you get injured, it's like <laughs> throwing yourself back three months, right? And so being mindful about like the recovery process is, is super important. I just pulled uh, up the macros so that's on that. that we've done with, yeah, that's something we've done with the recovery shake. Uh, yeah, I just pulled up the macros on that. So yeah, it's higher, higher in protein. Yep. Um, slightly higher in carbs, but still pretty low, only five. Yep. <clears throat> and calories are still pretty low too. Twenty, but Yeah, 25 grams of protein. Yeah, And then, okay, then it's got the 4.5 grams branched-chain amino acids and then the various micronutrients as well. <clears throat> cool. D3, that's important. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah a good, exactly. That's a good add. Mm-hmm. Awesome. I like that. I'll try that one. <clears throat> okay, so, well, Chris, it's uh, – I was, I was going to ask you, you said you've done CrossFit. So what, what is a normal, you know, your workout routine look like f- at your age now, which 30, 39, is that old year now? 39. Baby yeah. master. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's, uh, it's definitely evolved quite a bit. Like I was doing pretty intense, uh, CrossFit workouts. I was actually got my L1 certification and you know, that was, I, I loved it because it was more of a sport for me and it was a great transition post football to continue mm-hmm. to compete, uh, to some regard. Um, I think up until recent, like my hip is, uh, I think extremely arthritic or something. Uh, I just had an x-ray. And so that's been giving me a lot of, um, uh, challenges lately and, and really limiting some, some movements. So I'm trying to kind of rethink, um, well, trying to integrate more mobility stuff to see if I can work through that. But like the super intense, heavy load CrossFit stuff really seems to be a bit more detrimental to that now. And, shoulder as well because i've got limited range of motion uh due to soldier surgery on that so it's just like obviously those 20 plus years of playing football are now um really starting to manifest but to me it's it's important to you know as i had to change my mindset because you know in crossfit it's not crossfit i think crossfit's amazing um but it's me personally that needed to kind of shift make a psychological shift to say okay i don't need to go in and deadlift four or five hundred pounds every time i go in and and do that type of workout right i don't need to be doing like super heavy 300 pound clean and jerks anymore like what is the the benefit um to doing that versus like how (laughs) how beat up i am what's the true the the true intended stimulus yeah no i agree with you completely i have my l1 as well and i I don't, it used to be a master's thing where we start getting older. I'm 48 and I used to go in full, all gas, no break, would never let up. Yep. And I was, I was every morning I'd get up and just go, I felt like I got hit oh, by a truck. Yeah. <laughs> and my wife's like, how long are you going to be able to do this? I said, I don't know. I'm getting stronger. So just leave me alone. <laughs> but then I ended up yeah. and then I had kind of a, I evolved, I guess, the last probably 24 months, maybe 36, and evolved from I do a lot more zone two training now. Um, I'm not real gung-ho on the heavy, heavy Oli lifts, and I still compete, but I reserve a lot of the kipping movements for competition. I don't 
If, yeah. if 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 the if the wad if the metcon for the day is is forty pull ups, I'll do twenty five strict, and I just I won't kip, and then I'll practice kipping occasionally, but I won't redline while I'm kipping. So some of that stuff has really tempered the injuries. So let me ask you about that, Chris. How, was it hard to let go of that massive competitive? <laughs> spirit and instinct you know after being a football for so long and to just say okay well, uh, how does this benefit my body now at my age it's, an, it's you that, have to scratch is that tough to, <laughs> to separate from that yeah i don't think you ever entirely let go of it right it's always you know in you and it's just a matter of like finding i guess the outlets and, and channels through which you can fuel that competitive um spirit in you and it doesn't always necessarily have to come through athletics but Certainly, um, you know, that has been, it was like a, a big challenge, right? Not having that through football, right? And having mm-hmm. to try to rethink through how you're, you're, you're fueling that competitive nature. And that's why I think CrossFit was such a, a great transition for, for me to make for a period of time is, again, it has that kind of built-in competitiveness already. Um, and not that I, you know, wanted to get to like, become this like high level crossfit athlete but you know in, in your own box like there's already enough like healthy competition in a single workout oh, yeah. um i think now it's just like how do i and i always had to do this as an athlete too right like how do i compete with myself how do i challenge myself how do i um have some key benchmarks even if it's not super dialed in to know that i'm i'm pushing myself so right now i use like a because we've been traveling so much, um, this app, it's called Kilo. Um, so it's a lot of CrossFit style movements. Mm. It structures it where you've got like a stretch and then some sort of uh, strength portion and then a Metcon and then a wind down. What was the name uh, of that app? Even I, I missed that. Kilo, K-E-E-L-O. Oh, okay. Um, and it's kind of neat because you can change like what equipment you have access to and kind of, uh, you know, filter out like certain things that you might want to avoid based off, you know, uh, impairments or anything. Um, but with that, you know, it tells you like, at least for the Metcon stuff, uh, like what the, the target is and you can see like a leaderboard and everything. And so like that type of stuff is still nice because it kind of pushes you through the workout instead of just going through the motions, you do have like some sort of benchmark that you're you're trying to achieve in that, um, that period of time. Yeah. So I can see Josh is getting itchy over here. He's starting to squirm a little bit. So I'm going to ask, what do you <laughs> want? Um, what do you want people to know? What's uh, what's life feel got coming up, or anything exciting to share? Or? Yeah, so we've got a. We're in the midst of a pretty significant brand refresh. Um, so we're we're leaning into our essentials nutrition concept uh, a bit further. So we're gonna. Uh, we're in the process of rolling out bars, which are a great, like, mm. convenient oh. on-the-go fuel source. So the, mm. the interesting uh, thing about those is a very similar um, micronutrient profile to what you get in the shakes. Um, so really a um, uh, great way to still get those essential nutrients. And it's a high-fiber bar. So oh, nice. you know, that's another thing that most people don't get nearly enough of. So right. it's a nice amount of fiber um it's about 12 to 13 grams of protein per bar and there's a focused superfood in each one so we're launching with two flavors uh one is a 
uh, ginger lemon uh, tart. The other one is a fudgy maca brownie. And so the fudgy maca brownie has got maca and cacao. The ginger lemon has ginger lemon and, and turmeric. Um, so those are... That sounds really good. Uh, yeah, yeah, we've we spent a long time trying to develop those and excited to get those launched here in the coming months. Um, we also have got a, a line of uh, kind of adaptogen boosts, which are more of a whole food uh, based approach to nootropics. So they've got a, a combination of uh, wild mushrooms and botanical herbs that can help uh, kind of elevate performance in or uh, mitigate some kind of health uh, challenges in a few key categories. So like focus and concentration, uh, vitality and energy, uh, mood and stress. Um, so we've got one for, for each one of those kind of buckets. But um, cool. other than that, we'll continue to push into like, again, our approach is around a holistic approach to, to wellness. And so that starts with like our transformation program, which helps people kind of be more mindful around how they're feeling your body and also helps us, you know, uh, level up their education when it comes to, uh, nutrition and, and where our food comes from and the impact that has both on personal, uh, health, but also, um, our collective planetary responsibility. I have that pulled up on you on the screen here as well. We're showing that to the people. Nice. Awesome. Well, it seems like, uh, <clears throat> You know, even after playing football for decades, you escaped a lot. Any of the uh, mental damage? You seem super articulate, smart, really on the ball. So, you know, I'm sure that diet and you know, you just your awareness has a lot to do with that as well. Yeah, and it's something you know. I think we're all cognizant of. You know, as uh, former athletes, I've, I've had some um, former teammates uh, going through that now, and it's yeah. CTE really is real. Yeah, yeah, it's scary. It's, crazy and, and you know i don't know you know it's you, you, i think you have to be conscious about it because it's um you know it, it and it doesn't always manifest in the same way so like i think um and there's a lot of good science around this too right like omegas and dha and how that helps mm -hmm. with brain health and choline and all that like those brain nutrients um so i've been you know pragmatic about trying to get that through diet and just, mm -hmm. you know, aware that, you know, <laughs> this is a, a real concern. Um, if you don't, you know, take it and then oftentimes there's nothing you can do, but I think the dietary and lifestyle, um, components, uh, are a huge part of, of mitigating some of the damage that we've, we've done as, uh, football players. Yeah. You gotta give yourself the best chance. I can tell you, avoiding it. yeah, exactly. I can tell you too, from experience, um, uh, nutritional coach um, as full-time podcaster, but part-time, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I loved hearing what I heard today and I love the, what you guys are doing. Um, and we, in Thank this you. space, we got a lot of work to do. Um, a lot of people that need our help. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the market, the market is huge for people that need, need nutritional <clears throat> advice. Right. I'm sure you've seen well, that. Well, I think that's, yeah, it's great what you guys are doing. And I think this collective effort around this and educating, and as long as somebody has desire to, um, you know, take a more vested interest in their health and nutritional IQ, then it's great to have resources like this, um, for people to turn to and, and really kind of cut through some of the misinformation and, and just marketing hype that exists out there because it, that's the, 
the challenge is, you know, a lot, oftentimes, um, there's just so much that gets thrown at us and it's really tough to know, you know, what is, you know, good for us and, and other stuff that's just yeah, it's, all it, hype. It's their people that's want to get involved. They're Sifting like, through the marketing. That, oh, like you just, said yeah, it right there. It's like trying tough. to boil the ocean and you just, yeah. it gets, it's, it's overwhelming. Yeah. Right. Chris, well, we're going to leave it there. So I really want to thank you for joining us today. Make sure everyone checks out Life Fuel. That's L-Y-F-E-F-U-E-L.com. We showed a lot of the products on screen as well. Uh, put links to everything in the show notes as well. And we really want to thank uh, Chris Mandiro, right? Mandarino. Mandarino, sorry. You had it right the first time. I did. That was an hour ago. <laughs> yeah. I need one of brain products. Now, you got the perfect name to play in Italy, though. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah worked, exactly. that worked out nice in your favor there. Um, yeah, but yeah. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll put links to everything in the show notes, and I uh, really awesome. want to appreciate your time today. Yeah, thank you guys. It's been great. Right, thank, thank you for having me. Thanks, Chris. We'll see everyone. Bye, guys. Next week. Bye.